I would like you to turn your Bibles in the book of Acts, chapter 15, and we'll begin from verses 36. Verse 36. This is where the second missionary journey begins. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord. See how they are doing, you know. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark. John also called Mark with them, but Paul did, did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in uh, Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left uh, and left. Commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. The second missionary journey begins with a dispute between two men of God over just an agreement whether they should take one person, they should carry with them John Mark, with them in this uh, second trip. Now, John Mark was a young believer who at some time, at a particular time during the journey, he decided to, let me not call it bail out, but rather refrained from continuing the journey. And therefore, when Paul recalled this, he thought and he looked forward to where they are going. He thought, will this guy make it? I don't think I should go with this guy because he seems to be unreliable. And Barnabas, for those who know Barnabas, Barnabas was an encourager. And something about Barnabas is that he saw the best in people. And that's why he was able to be an encourager. One mark of an encourager is someone who sees beyond even the fault, beyond the, the, the shortcomings, beyond the inadequacies, beyond the weaknesses, to see what one might become. It's easy for an encourager to give second, and even many ch chances, and give someone a shot. This same John Mark is the person who will write the book of Mark. Maybe a question to you right now. Are you a Barnabas? Would you consider yourself a Barnabas? Or if someone messes up they're done, gone. How is your tolerance level? Are you able to accommodate people with weaknesses? Are you able to accommodate people who may fall short of your expectations and standards? Or are you a no-nonsense kind of a person? That all it takes is that one person to mess up and that's it. You're done with them. That's it. Gone. <clears throat> now, from this text alone, allow me just to spend a few minutes here. We see a dispute, but how it is handled brings about result. What am I talking about? First and foremost, it is godly to part ways. 
And I'm not talking about, uh, I, I'm talking in the context of uh, ministry, in the context of sometimes when decisions, when you can't seem to, things so, doesn't seem to work together, it's okay. It's godly to part ways more than continue in strife and conflict. We see here, the dispute between Barnabas and Paul gave birth to an additional team. Initially, they were just to be one team, a missionary team. But this dispute gave birth to two missionary teams. And there was team A, Paul, team B, Barnabas. And at the end of the day, the gospel was preached. Allow me to talk about Paul a little bit. Paul was born a Roman citizen to Jewish parents uh, in Tarsus, which is now the modern-day Turkey. Uh, he studied Torah in Jerusalem and uh, with, or rather, under the tutelage of a man called Gamaliel. Uh, he became a Pharisee. And this man began persecuting the church. We know this persecuting the followers of Christ. But later he was converted when he was on his way to Damascus and he was convinced that he was serving God. And he met Jesus. And you know the story. He was invited by Barnabas to teach in Antioch and how that, that's how they became friends. Barnabas became an encourager to Paul. So it's interesting to note why Paul at this point didn't extend the same grace to John Mark. However, we saw that there was actually a good that came out of that. Two missionary journeys were born. Now, Paul, uh, he was born during the closing years of uh, Caesar Augustus' reign. Caesar Augustus' reign. And um, like I mentioned, his family was Jew, and they were in the Roman province of Cilicia. Now, the family of Paul can be traced back to the tribe of Benjamin. And uh, his parents decided to name him Paul, or rather Saul, because his name was Saul, after the most illustrious member of that family line that was the first king of Israel, King Saul. Now, Tarsus, uh, where Paul was born, was known to, was prosperous, was, uh, was prosperous, and um, Paul described it as an ordinary city, and it was very industrious. In fact, they were known for weaving and tent making, and this is what Paul later used as a craft to uh, use to subsidize uh, his travel, okay, making tents. Now, Paul being born in Rome, that meant that he, became, he was a Roman citizen. And this implied that his family owned property and it also carried with it privileges. And certain privileges that Paul had was the right for a fair trial. The right for a fair trial. Not that, because this is, this is very important during his journey. The right for a fair trial, exemption from degrading punishments. A Roman citizen also exempted from that. And also, 
punishment like weeping, and he also had the right of appeal. So as a Roman citizen. And you'll see how this play out in his strategy of reaching out, in his strategy of preaching, in his strategy of who to meet and where to meet, using his privileges and rights as a Roman citizen. Praise the Lord. Amen. So the third, second mission... Amen. That's how new vocabularies are birthed, you know. Have you ever wondered how dictionaries are... Anyway. <laughs> Missionary journey. <laughs> you dare laugh at the man of God. Anyway. So, like I mentioned, the dispute happened. And let's continue. Chapter 16, we see uh, the beginning, Timothy is being recruited. And uh, what happened here is Paul came to Derby and then Lystria, where a disciple named Timothy lived. And then we are told a bit about Timothy here, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystria and Iconium, Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. So he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. Wait a minute. I thought in the last missionary journey, Paul addressed the issue of uh, circumcision in terms of, uh, and there's a, there's a, a conversation between Paul, uh, Peter, about requirements of salvation. And I think circumcision did come up, right? Uh, it was said that it's, it's a non-issue. So why is Paul taking Timothy through this process? Why? Is this a contradiction? What's going on here, Paul? What's happening? What are you doing? Well, let me help you. This was not a salvation issue. This was a PA, a strategy issue, not a salvation issue. And the answer is, is in these verses here. That Timothy, whose mother was Jewish, and the father was Greek. Now, in Paul's strategy of reaching out, he used synagogues to preach. And according to the tradition of the Jewish people, anyone who is not circumcised was not allowed to minister, or rather to serve in their synagogue. So what does he do? Because he's acquired a new mentee and he wants to train him, train him up in ministry. What does he do? He observes that law, not for salvation, but for ministry as a strategy of his outreach. If there's someone who was very intelligent and knew how to cross boundaries and culture and, and, and um, just be in sync was Paul. He knew how to be whoever he needed to be, wherever he needed to be, without compromising anchoring principles and yet still achieve results for the Lord, for the kingdom. And that's why you'll see how he even uses his rights and privileges 
not for himself, but a strategy to reach out and spread the goodness of the gospel. We let us see that uh, Paul has a Caesar vision. And what happened? Verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled through the region to Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to us, Macedonia, and help us. After Paul had seen this, the vision, we, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, including uh, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel. This bit here is very, very important because Paul, in as much as he was competent, in as much as he knew what, where he was going, in, a, in, a, in as much as he had the conviction that this is what God wants me to do, this is how God wants me to do, there was room for any adjustment should there be. That will, if should God lead otherwise, he will be willing to engage. So he did not totally rely on experience and the know-hows, but there was actually room. There was actually room for the Holy Spirit. And here it says the Spirit of Jesus. Basically, this is just another name, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Jesus tell him, no, don't. And I'm so impressed at how he was willing to change his position and follow the direction of God. And something is something amazing that we see here. Whenever God gives us a pause or holds us from pursuing going a certain direction, oftentimes an alternative route is around the corner. An alternative direction is around the corner. And it calls for us to be sensitive, alert, to hear. Why did you stop me from going this direction? And be sensitive and alert. And in this case we see God communicates to Paul through a vision of this man in Macedonia beckoning for help. And then as the verses continues, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. I know you're good at what you do, when William say, but is there room, should God ask you to go a different direction? You know, we see this also in the story of Peter at one particular time when Peter is has visited um, a certain place and uh, all of a sudden he sees a trance, vision-like, and a sheet from, God, from heaven comes down with all the types of animals and delic delicacies that were for, uh, forbidden in their dietary laws. And these are what God tells him to eat. But Peter is being convicted and he knows this is wrong. But why would God ask me to do this if it is wrong? Then there was a message there. In as much as you know what you need to do, where you need to do, how you need to do, with whom you need to do, is there room for God to direct you otherwise? 
Sometimes we Christians, we have developed something called a tunnel vision. A tunnel vision is, this is how God works. This is how he must work. For it to be God's will, or for it to qualify to be God's voice, it must sound like this. Tito, 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 tito. I am, I am, I am. You are God, you are God. So if I don't hear that echoish kind of a, ah, that's not God, man. But Paul, they trusted in God, and Paul and God directed them. And then from there we see how they just moved from place to place. The first place was now Philippi, and in Philippi they met. Um, from Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Samothrace. And the next day we went to Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi and Roman colony and leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. And we, we see how from city to city, city to city, something significant happened. From Philippi, they went to Thessalonica. And there, Paul was building rapport, making contacts, leaving a mark for God, touching lives with the power of the gospel. Nevertheless, there were challenges along the way. There were people who were receptive, but again, there were people who were non-receptive, as is expected this, uh, in this work, in this mission work that God has called us to do. So they moved city to city. In Berea, they met the famous Bereans who uh, didn't just take his word that because you have said so, they investigated the scripture to know what exactly are you saying? What are you telling us? What are you telling us? Athens as well. City to city. City by city. Now, I want to believe with all of my heart because we challenged you to, to read the scriptures. We did challenge you. And I want to believe with all of my heart that you are reading them. But now, I want to focus on what is it that made Paul be that kind of a missionary that would leave his home, leave his comfort, convenience, and become a missionary. And then the question is, another question, or other question that I would ask us again is, does Jesus require the, the Paul-like, Pauline-like, mission-ish-like kind of commitment for me as well? Is God calling me to be a missionary like Paul was, or this was for select few, or was this for people who look a certain way, or people who have a certain type of voice. I remember when God called me to ministry um, years back, one of my contention with him was that I didn't have the voice that powerful voice. The voice that even when you pray, you don't have to do much. Just the demons obey. I have this, which I still have, a conversational voice. Who listens to someone who is talking and they are preaching? 
people want power. You know? People want a voice like thunder. You know? And so, I, God, I don't qualify. So the question is, does God require that of us or it was just for a select few? What do you think? Anyone? An answer or two will do. Thank God I know your names. Mm -hmm. Yes, Tano? <laughs> do we have a, a roaming mic? Do we have a mic? Akuna? Okay, you have sound. Uh -huh. Please project. What do you think? Yeah? You can ask anybody. It can work with anybody. Huh? Any contrary response? Oh, I said two. One more? Uh, um, a lady? Yes. He qualifies the called. Ah. So he can work with anyone and he qualifies the called. How many agree? Well, we agree. So are you telling me that um, if God calls you... Okay. Yeah, okay. Are you saying that uh, it, you're okay if God calls you to be like Paul? That's okay. Hands up. Oh, just four people. Five people. Okay. Five, six. Okay. Seven. Okay. Um, all right. Now, uh, please tell me this. Okay. Tell me this. For those who haven't raised their hands, or for those who have reservation, what would keep you from accepting that kind of a call? What will make it hard for you? I, you can answer for someone else. Uh -huh. Pa? Family. Ah, family. Okay. All right. Yeah, family. Uh-huh. Something else? Ta? Tamaking. Ah, tamaking. Expand on that. You're a missionary? Una tamak everywhere. Okay. Uh-huh. Someone else? Faith. What about faith? Yes. Ah, you don't feel adequately if equipped. Okay. Uh-huh. So, family will keep you. Uh-huh. Yes. Ati akukua? Ajaito yo janiakua celibate. Okay. All right. Uh-huh. Someone else? Fear of rejection. Rejection from who? The people you're ministering to. Okay. Okay. Yes. What is this? <laughs> Besha. What about Besha? Okay. All right. Turn to the book of Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 27. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 27. I want us to understand what Paul did. 
or rather, and what God, and let's see if he requires of just Paul or anyone else. Are we there? Luke chapter 25, no, Luke chapter, sorry, 14 verse 25, 27. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Verse 27. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. How many have read that scripture before? Okay, so let's work with this definition as a requirement for being a disciple. And the question now to you is, are you a disciple? Excuse me, I didn't hear what you said. Yes. Yes. I'll hold. Okay. Um, um, in, in the context that that lady mentioned of those under authority, which is God instituted like uh, your husband or maybe the church is not even yours and you're an assistant pastor so you've got an authority figure over you um, I think that also needs to be considered along with that verse maybe the next <laughs> I know you're not supposed to add to scripture but let's see the next verse in a semanin Ah, yeah, that's a different context. But let's come back. I'm glad you mentioned context, and thank you for that. Now, the verse began by what? If you can go back to verse, uh, verse uh, 20, is it 25? Large crowds, okay? Let's begin there. That large crowd were traveling with Jesus. Large crowds. And people came for, for, were following him for different reasons. Okay? There are those who are wowed by the miracles. There are those who are wowed by the availability of food. There are those who are, uh, who are driven by needs. Some were sick. Some needed healing, intervention. All those were there. And some wanted the power that he had. Some wanted to really actually follow him and be his disciple. And then Jesus makes, now Jesus puts a requirement and he says what? If anyone comes to me, now I need you to understand this, this is not a salvation requirement. 
This is not a salvation requirement. This is a servant requirement. In other words, who is a disciple? Let's begin there. Who is a disciple? A follower of Christ. And who is a follower of Christ? <laughs> someone who does. One, someone who subscribes in what he's doing, believes in what he's doing, and is able to follow and do what he does. So if you are a disciple, that's what it means. You look, feel like you're the, the person you're following, your master, Jesus. So he's saying, if anyone comes to me, you want to be my disciple? You want to have, you want to be at a level of service, servanthood. You want to do what I do? Then this is what it takes. This is what it takes. And this is a, a cost, counting the cost scripture. This is a counting of the cost scripture. There are multitudes, and then there are disciples. If anyone comes to me and does not hate, I thought God wants us to love people. What is he talking about here? Hate again? I I'm sorry, what did I miss? Hate. I I'm confused. What does this mean? The hate here is not the English word yachuki, but is a strong dislike in contrast to, it's like two loves in contrast. For example, uh, let me use this example. I love my daughter. Okay? How many, do we have so many children here, right? Uh, and I love the children. I love your children. But I love my daughter so much that if you compare the love I have for my daughter and the love I have for your children, you'll almost say, like, I dislike your children. Do you get it? Does it make sense? You can't compare the love I have for Amani. Does it make sense? But I love all of them. So this is not a chuki statement of us. It's when you do the contrast between your love. Anyone who does not, who does not hate his father and mother. In other words, your love for your father and mother should be in a manner that it will not affect the love you have for Jesus. Should, you, should your father and mother be put here and Jesus here and you're told to choose? You'll choose Jesus without, a, with a, without any second guess, without thinking. That's what it means. Does not hate his wife and children, his brothers and sisters. It's talking about human capital here. Relationships. That we are relational beings. And our relationships determine our course of actions. Our, our, our relationships determine our purpose in life. And Jesus is challenging that to the core. And he's saying, hey, you want to be my disciple? Then the love you have for your father and mother the love you have for me shouldn't be compared to the love you have for your father and mother. The love you have for your wife and husband and children. Love them. 
pander them. But when it compares to the love you have for me, there shouldn't be even comparison. It will be like you had them. And this verse is very important. This verse is very important because it's a requirement. Because when you have achieved that level of commitment of loving Jesus that much that you'll choose him over your father, the father that you love so much, the mother that you, you can die for, the child, the wife that you can't believe, that takes your breath away, you can't live without them, yet you can choose Jesus in a heartbeat without thinking. If you are that level, my friend, you are where Jesus wants you to be. And guess what? This requirement is for you. Not even for Jesus. It's for you. If you read this Bible from beginning, from Genesis to December, sorry, from Genesis to Revelation, if you read the many stories and you'll understand why Jesus made this a requirement when it comes to family, when it comes to relationship. And he says, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That's a requirement. A servant, intimate relationship with Jesus requirement. In other words, Jesus is saying, I need to be top of any relationship you have. I need to be the top of that list. And yes, even his own life, and including your very own life. And Paul will demonstrate this when you read, his, when you read your Bible, when you read his episodes, when you read his uh, journeys, when you read the things that Paul went through. It's a demonstration of this. And guess what? This verse did not say, if Paul comes to me and does not, if Tito, it's anyone and everyone. Allow me to touch on something very sensitive. The death of a loved one has the potential to cause you to abandon your faith. The death of a loved one. Breaking up of a relationship has the potential to cause you to backslide. Do you understand what I'm saying? The bond. And that's what Jesus wants before, ahead, that you have a bond with him that cannot be affected by any other loss. Guys, this is a serious requirement. That Kate, God forbid, but should everyone in your family decide to desert you and you remain alone, that you will remain intact with God because you are his true disciple. I've said this before. Anything that is not God has an inbuilt failure. The wife I love dearly can fail me. 
I can fail her. Your children can fail you. Anyone that is not God will at one particular point because they are fallible, they have shortcomings, inadequacies and weaknesses, they may and they will fail you at a particular time. And that's why Jesus wants that bond with him to be unparalleled. I would like to ask uh, MJ to just post the last thing, the last one I sent. Now, what was the scripture we were reading again? Let's read again. Luke 14, verse 25 to 27. And lastly, verse, verse 33, okay? Now, great multitudes, large crowd, uh-huh, went with him and... And he turned and said to them, If anyone does not come, if anyone come, if anyone comes to me and does not hate their father, mother, wife, or children, brother and sister, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Verse 27. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So likewise, whoever verse 33. So likewise, whoever of you, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. This is not a salvation requirement. You are saved by grace. It's free. It's nothing of your doing. This is a call, calling, servant, discipleship requirement. And guess what? This builds into the reward system of heaven. If you're ever wondering how the reward system of heaven works, Jesus has said it. If you lose your life here on earth, you'll gain it. If you save your life here, you will lose it. And we are talking in terms of rewards here, in terms of crowns, the kind of crowns people will wear, the kind of rewards you'll have. Now, so back to that uh, um, chat. There are five things that we can pull from that scripture about if you want to become a follower, a disciple of Jesus. There is the people, requirement, possessions, places, position, and priority. In the people, you're required, you're mandated to hate everyone for Christ. <laughs> and we've talked about the, the term hate, right? It's understood. The term hate. And in a, what that means is that you choose Christ above everyone. Then in the possessions, you are called to be willing to forsake. Now, allow me to put this here like this. It doesn't mean that if right now you accept to be a disciple of Jesus, that the automatic thing that is going to happen to you is that God is going to ask you to throw everything and, and just live like you don't know where you are, where you're going. That's not it. But rather your attitude should be, should have that posture that should he ask you to forsake all. That's what you do. Should he ask you to forsake all so that you fit in the mold of the mission he has for you. That's what you'll do. And that means that you surrender to Christ everything you own. 
in the pos- uh, that is po- that is possessions in the places in the place you can re- relocate as Christ directs should god tell you ah nitumia nani kama mfano sawa pastor kibet should god ask you to re- relocate to to the us okay mkono if god asks you to relocate to the us you are willing and can do that so surrendering that means you can move to any new location as required of you by christ including south sudan or you know whichever us it is position guys accept any job as christ leads my mentor one of my mentors uh is a doctor he's called dr michael dr michael is a doctor in law and just when he was about to sign a deal in washington dc in a law firm very lucrative job god called him to become a disciple a disciple of nations to become a missionary he struggled with it but obeyed and i'm standing here today because i'm one of the people that he mentored if he didn't obey that call i don't know where i would be accept any job as christ leads and that means that you may change to a new workplace and then priority you can relocate your resources which means relo- re- refocus or rather refocus relo- re- relocate your uh, my resources refocus your talents time and treasure that verse that we've read all that comes from that the next one Now, suppose God asks you to relocate. I want you to move. Same home. Same same home nation but different location. So just still here in Kenya, Pastor Kibet, we are still on you and uh, maybe Eldoret or somewhere you've never lived before, uh Turkana or uh Kisi or whichever. It doesn't just how ha- it just it doesn't have to be harsh for it to seem like hey, send on me relocate just anywhere same na- same home nation different country and then maybe temporarily maybe for less than a year would you do that if god asks you to relocate to a different nation but the same language and culture we are talking of east africa you know people speak english swahili you know so it's still doable you know maybe semi permanent one two three four years or god asks you to move to a different nation but new language and culture permanent five or more years whereby you have to now relearn learn new languages and god wants you to be in that space would you do would you do next would you do huh. in terms of priority position suppose god has required you to move to a new role but same organization temporarily maybe less than a year 
It could be for more pay. <laughs> or even less. New role, different organization. Semi-permanent. One to four years. Maybe for far less pay. Mm. Or, new role. You're called into ministry. Permanent. Five or more years. No pay. And underline. Must raise funds. You're coming from a place where you are sure every month I have a paycheck. And now God is calling you to a place where you're going to raise funds. Would you? So ladies and gentlemen, what we are simply trying to do here is paint a picture of what it takes to read these cute, wonderful, nice stories about Paul. Here he moved from one place to another. Yes. All that happened. So my missionary friend, um, what do you think? Paul did his part. Three missionary journeys. It's your turn. Has God called you to be a missionary? If you ask me, the answer is yes. It may not look like Paul's, but requirements are universal. God wants me to love him more than I love my wife. More than I love my children. Let, let me give you a couple of examples. My last, this is my second finally. No, my first finally. Abraham. What do you think was the test he went through when he was told to sacrifice his son? He went through a look, a look 14 test. Do you love this child more than me? Or are you willing to give him up? What do you think Job went through when he lost everything in one single day? It was a test of what? Right now, God forbid, should you lose everything, how will that impact your relationship with God? I pray none of us come to that place. But should you come to that place where you've lost everything? There's a course. I don't know if you missed. Perhaps we can organize for another one. It's called What on Earth is God Doing in My Life? If you missed it, we can organize for another season. What on Earth is God Doing in My Life? In this course, we learn how God can chasten us or even discipline us. And chasten may involve taking things away so that he may refocus our attention on him, so that he may shape us and mold us into the mold that of his will for our lives. I want us to... I want to make a call. And Paul, I'll just, I want to invite us. I just want to invite us. I want to invite us. There's an invitation that God has made, Jesus has made. The worship team just come.
to be a mission is not just for a few people. It is for all of us. Pastor MJ, would you just put back the, the second slide? And I want you to look at it and look at your life. The other one? Yeah. If that's what God calls you to do, right now, if you assess your heart, are you in that position? Or probably your love for your wife supersedes that of Jesus. Your love for your children is greater than the love you have for Jesus. The love for your job, the love for your place of living is far greater than the love you have for God. Are you driven by comfort, convenient, and care? Or is your discipleship anchored on obedience. I want to invite you to a heart-searching stillness. And I'll ask you to rise on your feet and just have a conversation with Jesus this moment. Ask him, what would you require of me? I know I'm not Paul, but I'm your child. And this scripture is universal. What do you require of me? Show me, Lord. Show me. And if you know very well that God has called you in certain areas to do certain things that may, be, may look at like any of this and you have rejected, you have been afraid, God wants to liberate you today. What is it that you have put in front before God? What is it? What bond? Could be a bond with your wife, a bond with your family, a bond with your gifts, a bond with yourself and comfort that is standing in the way of becoming a true disciple. I want to worship God and I invite you to do so with me as you talk to God. Mm -hmm. I'll put you in front in front of my melody you are all that matters you are all that matters. I'll make room for two. You and I, Jesus. You are all that matters. You are all that matters. Oh, eh, oh, eh. You are all that matters. Oh, eh, oh, eh. you are all that matters. Oh, eh, oh, eh. you are all that matters. Oh, eh, oh, eh. you are all that matters. Where would I be? 
If I didn't see your light, what would have become of me? If you take your Holy Ghost, and now I've come to realize that I'm nothing without you, Lord. You are all that matters. You are all that matters. Oh, hey, oh, hey. You are all that matters. Oh, hey, oh, hey. You are all that matters. I want you to open your mouth and come before the Lord. He loved you at great cost. He did not withhold his son Jesus. He gave him up for you. How much will you give up for him? How much will you give up for him? Just go before the Lord. May he open your eyes to see what he did, he did for you. Thank you, Jesus. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you because you matter, Lord. Thank you because you matter. Thank you, King of Kings. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, everlasting God. Thank you, Jesus. Is it the house? Is it the car? I'll give them all to you. Is it the name? Is it the fame? I'm nothing without you. Oh, Rasuta Kayamanda City. Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Teach us, Lord, to forsake all and accept you. I'll put you in front, in front of my wife, because you are all that matters. Think of that thing that is standing in the way and just declare that you're putting it before God. I'll make room for two, you and I, Jesus. You are all that matters. Manda Setakaya. I'll put you in front. I'll put you in front, in front of my position, in front of my work. Lord, I'll put you in front because you all that matters. Everything else can fade away. Time flies. Buildings deteriorate. Positions fly, go. People die. But Lord, you are all that matters. It is you that remains. Oh, hey, you are all the matter. Oh, hey, oh, hey. Hallelujah. Oh, hey, oh, hey. Oh, hey, oh, hey. You are all the matter. Oh, hey, oh, hey. In Matthew chapter 6. Verse 31. Do not, do not worry. Do not worry saying what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And 
Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first ye his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow. Do not worry for tomorrow will worry about itself. Do not let worry stand in the way of you totally giving yourself up to God. Do not let worry, fear of discomfort, fear of inconvenience keep you from all that you can be and all that you can add in, in the kingdom of God. All that you can be to fit in the perfect will of God. Do not let anything, do not let fear, do not let that comfort place, do not let it hold you back. God is calling you to step up. I'll put you in front in front of my melodies. You are all that matters. You are all that matters. And I'll make room for two. You and I, Jesus. Because you are all that matters. Thank you, Lord. Father, we repent before you. For when we've made it about our comfort, we made it about our convenience. We made it about our preferences. We made it about what we want. We made it about our self-indulgence. We made it about possessions, fame, legacy, at the expense of your calling, at the expense of your will. We rejected you, but we didn't know we did. We chose our parents instead of you, and we didn't know that. We chose our spouses. We didn't know that. We chose our children, and they determined the direction of our lives rather than you de determining that, rather than you determining the, our, the core of our existence. For you say in your word that in you we live, move, and have our being. But Lord, we made it about people. We made it about possessions. We made it about our places of comfort. We made it about our priorities, which did not match yours. And Lord, you're calling us to a place of repentance. Church, just go before the Lord and repent. Just go before the Lord and repent. Father, I repent. I repent when I chose my comfort over you. I repent, Lord. I repent. I repent when I didn't imagine my life without the things that are dear to me, the people that are dear to me. And Lord, my devotion, my uttermost devotion was to them. Father Lord, I am sorry. Forgive me. I want to be your disciple. I don't want to be an average believer. I don't want to scratch the surface. I don't want to be okay with average. I don't want to be okay with one week in your presence. I don't want to be okay with that kind of a relationship whereby it's a transactional relationship. I only come to you when I want something. I don't want that kind of a relationship. Father, I ask for levels of intimacy with you. Father, I ask for levels of intimacy with you. Father, I ask... <laughs> You'll find me when you seek me with all of your heart. The Lord is saying... 
Search me and I'll show you unsearchable things that you know nothing about. The Lord is saying. The Lord is saying, I love you. And I demonstrated it that while you are a sinner, you are a sinner. My son Christ died for you. How would you demonstrate your love for God? Luke 14 is the answer. Father, give us the strength and the power to do so. We love you. If you're here and you're saying, I have heard clearly what God wants me to do, but I'm afraid. I'm counting this cost and it scares me. I'm afraid I can't do it unless he helps me. Just raise your hand we pray with you. Just raise your hand we pray with you. I see that hand. Amen. You also hear and you probably hearing this and seeing this from the first time and you're like I didn't know that there's such a requirement. I didn't know that it was required of me if I wanted to become a true disciple to to have that kind of an attitude. I'm learning this today and I want to adopt that attitude. I want to adopt that outlook. But I need help. Raise your hand. Amen. Or probably you're saying, "I having known what you've said and the requirements, I'm good. I'll remain where I am. That's what I want. Siko baya but that's what I want. I'll remain there. It's okay. You're still born again. You're still saved. It's okay. Father, I pray for your daughters and sons that have raised their hands it is you that gives us both to will and to do you tell us in your word in second corinthians 5 that our competence does not come from us our competence our sufficiency comes from you and therefore the call to be missionaries the call to do what you've called us to do comes from you the power to do it comes from you and your servant paul taught us that he can do all things through you who gave him strength and that is the same thank you that you're not calling us to do this by ourselves because by ourselves we can't thank you that you're calling us to do this by your own strength and thank you father for what you've outlined for us in heaven the rewards that awaits us when we deny ourselves here on earth thank you that it's not in vain when we refuse to plunge ourselves into the spoils of this world that you've reserved the best for us 
and it is all worth it. Father, we thank you. Amen and amen. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen.